Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. Hey, and welcome to What Future. I'm your host, Joshua Topolsky. And uh, today I have to say I'm in an interesting place mentally and, and physically. No, physically, it's not that interesting. I'm, I'm at home. Um, but mentally, I'm, I'm traveling. I'm traveling through the stars. No, I'm not actually doing that. I, I am a little exhausted, you know, because I have been traveling. And, uh, you know, when you go on a trip and it's a long trip and then you come back, uh, no one but you was on the trip. Everybody else was where they were. When you come back home, you were on this weird journey with all these strange people. And all of the people you know, like your family, like my family, for instance, or the people I work with who didn't, were not traveling. It's just like life was just going on normal. And so you're, you may have had a life-changing experience. I didn't have a life-changing experience, but one might have had a life-changing experience on their journey. And then you have to like, you're the back at the, you know, back in the office on Monday or whatever. It's very straight, hard to transition in, in my opinion. There should be a, I think after a trip, there should be a period and, and you should get like a few days of everybody leaves you alone so you can re-enter society. Like a, if you've been in prison, to kind of like ease back into the world of the uh, non-imprisoned. Anyhow, I'm not saying travel is like being in prison, but... You just said it's like a halfway house. <laughs> no, I didn't. Did I say that? A transitional house. No, I mean, I mean, I'm saying you have to transition. I'm saying you should be given time to transition back into the normal world. Like if you go somewhere, especially if it's far away and you're not there for like you're not doing the same things you do all the time. I mean, I think, you know, maybe this is just the, oh, I need a vacation after the vacation. I didn't take a vacation, but if I had, right? Like, do you buffer when, if you go on a trip, do you buffer time afterwards to like return to your life? Because I think people should. No, no, I, I don't. You mean you, you mean you add on an extra day? <laughs> uh, or you come back a day early. That's right. Yeah. You add on. Yeah. Um, I've never done it. I mean, it sounds mm -hmm. incredible, but it's never been an option in my life. Right. No, it's not really an option for anybody. I'm not saying you can. I mean, I'm saying like, you know, I've cut trips short for the purpose of having a day that isn't being on the trip. I've been like, okay, that's enough. I got to go home so I can like get back into the swing of like living of normal life. Uh, but before I talk about my travels, which I guess I have a little bit, there's something more 
uh, more pressing and more present that has occurred. So I got rear-ended. Did I tell you this? I've started to tell you guys. By the way, when you say I was rear-ended, I feel like it doesn't. It's not an immediate, like to everybody that you're talking about the car. <laughs> Is that just me? <laughs> oh, yeah. Like when I hear the words, I'm like, it takes me a second to think about what that means. You know, rear-ended. It doesn't sound like a car accident. It sounds like, kind of sounds like a sex thing, to be honest. Oh my God. I was rear-ended. It's like, like it's like that feels like a genre Pornhub like a tag on Pornhub. I think you're the only one thinking that. <laughs> nah, someone else has thought it. Believe me, none of these thoughts are that original. None of them are that People unique. People thought it, but they haven't said it. Well, that's why I'm getting paid the big bucks. I'm not afraid to say what's on everyone's mind. Rear-ended sounds like a sex thing. <laughs> Anyhow, I was rear-ended uh, yesterday. I was sitting at a uh, stop, a stop light, and a light, a red light. Do people call red lights stop lights? Nobody calls them that, right? That's not a that's not a phrase. Anyhow, I was sitting at a light and a like, I don't know, I don't know, maybe I want to say a 2002 Grand Cherokee rear-ended me. You know, it's funny because like I heard the screech of the of the tires on the it was it had been raining, but this person was definitely going too fast. I heard the screech of the tires and I was like, oof, that's a bad noise. That doesn't sound good. But I didn't do anything. Like I just sat there for a second. I mean, it happened very quickly. Uh, but it was interesting because I'm like, that is not a good sound. And then I got hit. But you know, what's funny about the Tesla is that they have cameras everywhere and the cameras are recording all the time. So I have footage of the accident, which is interesting. And honestly, the, the Cherokee ended up a lot worse than my car. My car actually has no damage on it from what I can tell. There's like a little scuff on the bumper. But uh, the Cherokee's bumper was like fully dented. So can I ask you a question about how that works? Like, Please do. I see this. There's like baby monitors that are always recording. Yes. Where does that go? Like, I mean, if a Tesla's always recording, does it erase on like... It does erase. Yeah, it erases. So there's, okay. a, there's a little uh, SD card in the, in the glove compartment, which I actually didn't even realize was there. But they have this little SD card plugged into a USB port in the glove compartment. And it's recording some amount of of footage like i had like an hour of driving footage from that day now i went to check it i was going to show uh, zelda i was telling her about it and this morning i was as i was dropping her off at her summer camp i was like you know i had there's video of it and then i went to look for it and it's gone like it has been replaced by newer video so i assume that they're what's interesting is you would think the car they would have at least enough intelligence to go hey this car the car got hit by another car so we should keep that. Although I did save the video. So I have it on my computer. I have the saved video from all of the cameras as the accident happened. But the bummer is I don't have any of the video after it because there's some video of me walking around the car, which I would like to check out, see how I look, you know, see how my pants are fitting, that kind of stuff. But um, I'm not, that's gone forever. I guess I'll just have to you can do that right now. I got to go walk around my car just like casually and then I can look, I can review the footage. Anyhow, but then I also have a new injury. I have a bad injury. I have, um, I think it's called bursitis in my elbow. I don't know exactly how it happened, but it's very painful. If I lean on my right elbow, like uh, on a chair or even like if I'm in bed and I'm, I prop myself up to read or something, doesn't happen all the time, but a lot of the time now it is like a level 10. You know the pain chart? You know where they have the faces? Have you ever seen the pain chart? Yeah. Pain chart's a good name for a band also. Yeah. like. Get it for like a metal band. It's like a 10 on the pain chart. 10 is like as, as painful as anything can be. I mean, of course, I'm also a man, huge baby. So for me, for me, it's a 10 for a normal person. It's probably like a three. But they say that men always register their pain is higher on the scales than the women do. Well, men are, as we know, huge, huge babies and have a low tolerance for pain and discomfort. I mean, most of the world's problems, I, I imagine, are because like men didn't want to be uncomfortable or put out or like, you know, they were angry about having their feelings hurt or something like nine out of 10 times like a war has started because some man was hurt by another man in all likelihood. Huge babies, all of all of us, the whole the whole set. 
you know, I'm a, a broken down piece of meat like uh, Mickey Rourke from The Wrestler. I'm just, just slowly deteriorating. My whole, my whole body is falling apart. You know, the car got hit. My elbow's fucked up. What's next? You know, are those things related? Probably not, but we can't rule it out. Anyhow, I was in Cannes, which is how I'm saying it. And I don't know if that's, that's, I feel like that's how Americans say it. I don't know if it's how everybody says it. Uh, Jenna, you, you speak French, right? No, I speak Spanish, but I would say calm. But <laughs> Lyra, do you speak French? I don't. And I would say can. <laughs> I felt very dumb there, uh, of course, because I don't speak. I speak no French. I can make the sounds if I know the word, but I don't really know any words. By the way, I haven't been out of the country for many, many years, obviously. And uh, I had to get a new passport. I have to get a new uh, passport, too. Well, let me tell you, you can get one quickly. Do you know what the trick is? No. What is it? Let's say you're a month away from travel. You need a passport. Now, you need to get one a month away from your travel. It will take you seven to nine weeks minimum to get one. Okay. But if you wait, if you just wait till you're within 14 days of travel, you have booked a ticket. You have proof of that. You have to travel. There's no alternative. You stand to lose a bunch of money because your ticket will be useless because you won't be able to take your trip. Uh, you can call a number. and Sometimes you get through a number to the to U.S. Uh, Department of State uh, or State Department. Some people refer to it. And they will maybe be able to find you an appointment at a passport, a special kind of passport office. There are only a few of them in America. And then they will uh, maybe make an appointment for you to go and get a passport. They're like, be here at 10 o'clock. You're like, okay, cool. I have a passport, an appointment to get my passport. That day, they will make you a passport, okay? So this costs $190 in fees, which is fine, like whatever. Like if you're flying to another country and you're going to lose all of your, you know, ticket money or whatever, have your trip ruined, it's, it's nothing. But the 10 o'clock appointment is not just for you. The 10 o'clock appointment is for everyone. <laughs> Everybody got invited to be there at 10 o'clock. And it is a lot of people and everybody needs a passport today. And, and we're all in it together. I got into line, got there at like nine 30 in the morning. I'm like, I'm, I'm early. I got into a line out the door of the passport office, stretching down a sidewalk across the, a driveway, a, a parking lot entrance. And, you know, I made lifelong friends that day. I met people and, and bonded with people and experienced things with those people that, uh, you know, so a lot of people will never experience. A lot of other people will never get to get to experience. Um, anyhow, it was a chaotic scene. They did give me a passport eventually, but uh, it was a very interesting experience. You really got a, it really gives you a taste of uh, the government in action. Just to, And I'm not saying it's a bad system, but there's definitely some things that could be improved about it. Like, there are a lot of things that can be improved about it. You're telling us about the Hunger Games of Passport. Yeah, it was right. It was like the Hunger Games. I was picturing you as Clive Owen and Children of Men the whole time. There was a very Children of Men vibe to a lot of it. Like, uh, you know, a lot of like people waiting in lines, hoping to make the cut for something or whatever. So they, they run you through this process and then they say, come back. Now, it's interesting. Some people, some people at the window said, told people, Come back here at one o'clock. Some people would like the, my person said, you can pick it up between one and three. Okay. Between one o'clock and three o'clock in the afternoon. So I went home and then I came back. And when I got back, things had gotten, things had gotten a little ugly. Things had gotten, they'd gotten, they'd gone from okay to bad and maybe we're traveling towards from bad to worse. And there's a huge amount of people waiting. And the, the, the security guards there are not security guards. I guess there's some type of law enforcement, you know, they were like yelling at people to, you know, not rush into line and it doesn't matter because no, you're only going to get your passport when somebody calls your name. And then they were telling people, they were like, I saw somebody vaping. I don't know who thinks you can vape in a, in a government building. And, you know, to be honest, it never occurred to me, you couldn't vape in a government building. So, you know, I put it away. Just kidding. I wasn't vaping. <laughs> I think actually, can you even picture me vaping? Doesn't It doesn't compute mentally. The officer there was like, I've never seen it this packed. I've never seen it this crazy. I've never seen anything like this. We're just totally overwhelmed. So we're going to take your 
they give you a slip of paper to pick up your passport. They're like, we're going to take your slips of paper and we're going to take them upstairs. And then someone's going to come down with whatever passports are ready and they're going to call people's names. And it sounded like, and I think what was the case is that they had just created like an ad hoc system that they had never done before or had rarely done. And so it was like, you have this little piece of paper, you just hand it over. Then that's it. Like as far as getting your passport, that's the only thing you can use to pick it up. And then it goes to upstairs into a mysterious room. And then a person comes down, this woman comes down, this, uh, you know, not elderly. She was a bit advanced in age. She comes down, she's behind, she's inside of a box, a plastic box, like where they check you in originally. And, you know, she starts just yelling people's names, but like, there's no amplification. She can't pronounce a lot of the names. It was like, is this it? Is this the end of the process? This bureaucratic process is like, this old woman in a box is screaming a name she can't pronounce in the hopes that the person happens to be A, sitting there, and B, hears it. Listen, nothing tragic happened, but there were just a lot of the tension in the room was was palpable. As the number one audio company, iHeartMedia gives you access to all. Every audience, live conversations, trusted influencers, and the insights and data you need to grow. iHeartMedia is your access company. Go to iHeartResults.com for more. My simple solution to the problem was remove people from the scene and help them feel safer. In response to attacks against Asian Americans, Maddie Park raised over $250,000 to donate cab rides to the Asian community. There is so much more work to be done. We really need to come together and tackle this issue as a community. Support the Asian community. Learn how at lovehasnolabels.com. Brought to you by Love Has No Labels and the Ad Council. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega-hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. And many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Man, when she called my name, it was like God himself had come down from heaven and uh, put me in a, in a 1926 Rolls Royce and driven me to the pearly gates. <laughs> That's what God does? I don't know. I don't know. I was trying to think of what God would do if he came down here to help. Like, what's he doing? <laughs> I don't know. Driving you around, apparently. You know, classic like Sistine Chapel, God with the beard. He's got like a really nice, like iridescent, like the color of the Rolls Royce, like one of those classic cars with the big swoopy wheels. And the color of the car is like an iridescent purple. You know, it's like you can't quite make out exactly what the color is. And he will just take he can take you anywhere. You know, that to me is like feels right. I don't know if it's if it is right. You know, I don't I don't think God exists, but I think if God did exist, that's the scene. That would be the vibe. Right. That's the vibe. Like a kind of Rick Rubin ish situation, maybe. 
But I don't think Rick Rubin even drives. He probably just is like, he has a guy who drives. He does not him. seem like he drives. He doesn't seem like he drives. He's like a guy who like never wears shoes. I think it's just like, I think he's obviously a very important person and has done some amazing things, but his vibe is like, I don't know. I see, I bet he's really annoying. I bet he smells. I bet he's <laughs> not getting Rick Rubin on the podcast. I bet he is like a guy who doesn't use deodorant. He's like deodorant is poison. That's my, that's the vibe I get from, from Rick Rubin. I'm not saying he's dirty. I'm just saying he rejects things like deodorant and shoes. Not in a hippie way either. I think he's a incredibly materialistic capitalist guy, but but I think there's just he's got he's like a, you know like one of these tech VC guys. Like there is a story in the Wall Street Journal about how all these that the VCs and their and the founders are all like doing drugs now. They're all like microdosing or like doing ketamine or whatever. And it's just like oh, it helps me like you know come up with solutions to complicated problems or whatever. And it's like no, it doesn't. It makes you high, which is fun. And um, that is it. Like, I don't believe for a second that it's like you're the next breakthrough is going to happen because you're fucking microdosing or whatever. I don't think people get professional breakthroughs from microdosing, but I do think that people have personal breakthroughs from microdosing. I'm not talking about the therapeutic uses of, of, of LSD. I'm talking about guys who are like, this helps me, you know figure out how to do the layoffs or whatever you know like that's the you know like i would i have to do a difficult would i have to do a difficult calling of the staff i like snort a little ketamine which takes the edge off the silicon valley guy who invents the public bus that's what i associated right with. right no it's like elon musk it's like elon musk inventing like a kind of a way worse subway he's like invented a tunnel you know like literally and uh he was probably fucking high and and if the people who give him money to do things are are also high, it's a bad it's a bad combination. It explains a lot, though. I think like it explains a lot about what's going on in Silicon Valley at the at the moment. You know, it sort of explains even things like the the Apple virtual reality headset, all all that stuff, like metaverse and fucking. It's just all it's such it's such like a fantasy, it's such a strange fantasy that everyone out there seems to be having. That it's just so completely detached and out of touch from like meaningful reality and, and i say this as a guy who would love to just zap himself into a virtual reality situation and never come back i don't know anyhow so um how do they get on the topic of drugs Did that have no you to do were with talking rick about rick rubin smelling bad which which by the way made me think about how my mom used to say she always was sure that larry king smelled bad larry king looks like he smells like mothballs uh he looks like he smells like he just got the suspenders out of an a, a old like one of those old suit brown leather suitcases with the little flippy things that open it up and inside of it were a whole bunch of suspenders and mothballs, <laughs> you know, but, you know, rest in peace. I feel like mixed with like a bag of farts. There's something like old. Yeah, may, uh, maybe, maybe he looked dry to me, though. He just generally looked dry, you know, like and I associate dry dryness with uh, mothballs. I guess I don't know why. I don't know why. I guess mothballs aren't really there for keeping things dry. I haven't smelled a mothball in a while, actually. People don't do that anymore. I, I have them because we have moths. So I have them in my in the closet. Ooh. Okay. You have mothballs in your yeah, closet? Yeah, those like hangy ones, you know, that like uh, they're hangers. All right. Okay. But I'm, I don't want my clothes to be eaten, so. Oh, well, God. I mean, that's not, that doesn't happen. The moths don't eat clothes. This is like an old wives tale. That's actually, is that sexist to say? It's an old person's tale. I think it takes like a very, very long time. I think it's like I was on the Santa Maria, you know, and I had my fucking cask full of clothing and like the moths got in there, like to my, they got onto my tunics. Is this a real problem? It feels like not a real problem. Let's go back to Larry King and his smell. Yeah, Larry King. No, he, I don't know. He maybe didn't smell that good. I feel bad for saying that Rick Rubin looks like he stinks, but you know what I mean? I, I don't know. He probably does. Like, I don't know. I know. I've known a lot of guys in the music world that have a similar vibe, I guess. And, uh, yeah. you know, they're just kind of like, no, you know, I'm, I reject things like. Who do you think smells good? What do I think smells good? No, who do you think smells good that you've never met? Oh, that's an interesting question. That's an interesting question. Men or women, or do we do we care? Like, is it do we want to go? No, is I there don't any care. any gender preference here? I mean, you did just slander two men. Well, I didn't actually. My Larry King was based off of of uh, Jenna saying that. Uh, some, yeah, that's my opinion. Him smelling bad. I, but if you ask me, what do you think Larry King smells like? I guess like mothballs is like the answer I would give because that is, you know, but I don't know. Maybe I'm just saying that because he's old. Maybe that's ageism. He had so many wives. 
I know, I know. Well, he had a lot of money, I think. Uh, that is very helpful. Mm. Maybe I'm just being ageist. You know, maybe he smelled great. Maybe he smelled like fucking, you know, uh, Jovan Musk. <laughs> Jovan. Is it, do they still make that? That's a, that's a uh, corner store cologne. Who do I think smells good? Brie Larson? Wow. I don't know why. She, Cree, she popped into my... Cree, <laughs> why, why her of all people? That seems so I weird. Know. I don't know. I don't know. She just popped into my head. I'm trying to think of who else might smell good. I have a very bad sense of smell. So I kind of don't smell much of anything. I generally assume most people smell fine. Like I'm not like walking around going like people, all people stink or I'm concerned about people, how people smell. Uh, and I feel like I've really d- dug a hole here with this Rick Rubin comment. But um, I can't, I don't really think about it, I guess. You know, my concern is more like, do I smell? As you know, I'm very self-centered and focused on my own shit. And I'm like, you know, how do I smell today? Like, am I okay? That's the thing. It's like, you never really know what you smell like. You know, you have no idea what you actually smell like. You'll never know. You'll never know. Does that, do you find that maddening? Yeah. To think about? Like, I'll get out of the shower. I do my stuff or whatever. I'm thinking like, I feel pretty fresh. I feel pretty clean. I feel like I smell great. But like, maybe it's too much. Maybe it's not enough. Maybe I stink for some reason. I don't even know. And when when you're pregnant, your your bio actually changes. Oh, it is very pungent. It gets better or worse. No, it gets way worse. That is a that's mm, a trip to when you uh, smell your your bio that is now different and worse. Ew, that does sound terrible. That sounds like a kind of like a horror movie. But I mean, a lot of a lot of pregnancy is sort of like a horror movie, in my opinion. No no offense, I'm just saying. Like they made a horror movie about it. Well, no, I know. <laughs> that's I think more than one. No, but, yeah. Um, well, I would say there's one. I mean, there's like a new one. Is what I mean. I asked Kyle the other day if Alien was based off pregnancy, and he said no. Okay, he's wrong. Okay, he's fucking wrong. Actually, let me tell you because I could. I have read extensively. Uh, um, uh, there's a guy named Dan O'Bannon who wrote. Uh, who's a really weird, interesting guy who has written and and made a lot of interesting science fiction. I believe he wrote or co-wrote the original Alien story. And, and he said, first off, the alien, the way the alien inseminates its host, they wanted to reverse the rape thing. They wanted to have like essentially like, like male rape was the inspir, like the, the horror of rape, but applied to like not a woman, you know, and obviously, you know, other people can be raped, but they had this idea that it was like going to be as horrific as a rape. And then I do think that the, um, I do think the, the chest bursting, part of it is meant to be uh yeah like a pregnancy parallel you know i mean of course i don't see how it couldn't be the entire thing is centered around like mothers and like and like birth and uh i don't know what, i don't know what he's talking about i think he's way off on that with that answer it, it, kyle <laughs> like, just walked in by the way and and totally challenged that alien is based off wasps or something xenomorphia or something no so. that's wrong that's like some idea that a child would have about what alien is about um <laughs> oh but uh God. that's i mean it's, i don't it's want incorrect. him to hear what you just said no it's, it's it is it is though because here i'm going to tell i'm going to read i'm going to read you dan o'bannon production writing i'm reading the wikipedia entry right now o'bannon described the sexual imagery as overt and intentional i'm going to put in every image i can think of to make the men in the audience cross their legs homosexual oral rape birth the thing lays its eggs down your throat the whole number that's the guy who created the story for alien speaking okay so i don't know about the wasp stuff sounds like dan o'bannon had some other ideas about what it meant you know it's a 10 on the pain scale (laughs) Wow, good callback. Thank you. Good. Uh, it is a 10 on the panes, guess. A lot like my um, elbow bursitis. <laughs> it's very similar, actually, in a lot of ways. At any rate, I was actually uh, talking to some of my coworkers today about the um, about the box office situation. It's a very bad situation out there for blockbusters. The superhero fatigue has set in. People don't want to see The Flash starring Ezra Miller. That person that I thought was in jail. Ezra Miller, that's his name, right? I thought Ezra Miller was in jail this whole time until the press started coming out. Ezra Miller was has been accused of some some very mysterious and not good sounding stuff. And I, you know, was sort of you know, like canceled-ish. Uh and then they're like, no, we're gonna, but you know, we made this movie with him, so or with them, sorry. Uh, and so we gotta do it. 
Wasn't there kidnapping involved? Uh, They apparently kidnapped. I mean, this is the accusation. I have no idea what the real story is. To be honest, I haven't looked that much into it because it sounded uh, depressing and bad. And I I, I can only engage with so much bad news at a time. But uh, yeah, they like kidnapped some underage I guess kid. I guess you can kidnap a non-underage person. Although it's kind of right there in the name. I feel like they should. Is there a different word for when you when you kidnap an adult? Is there a different word? This says Ezra Miller officially apologizes for kidnapping girl. Hey, we've all been there. There's nothing alleged here. We've all had to issue an apology for doing a kidnapping of a youth. I mean, who hasn't? Who amongst us hasn't issued a formal apology for doing a crime? <laughs> okay, but let me read this to you. Okay, please do. After receiving a felony for burglary in May. Oh, okay. That's Ezra Miller was accused of brainwashing and grooming a teenage girl and exploiting Mm. other children. Oh. Now the actor is attempting to salvage the situation by sharing an apology. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I don't know if that gets gets you all the way there. If all those accusations are 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 true, I think, uh, or or all that behavior. But their publicist wrote an apology. Yeah, yeah. I mean, listen. Sometimes saying "I'm sorry" goes a long way. You know, sometimes it can just erase a horrendous crime. But yeah, people don't want to see their movie. They don't want to see the Flash, even though there's a Michael Keaton cameo where he he plays Batman, which I think is cool. Like the only cool thing these dc movies have done actually i was just talking to somebody about how uh, how unbelievable the string of failures the dc franchise uh dc superhero movies have been like just like an unmitigated ongoing disaster like every film is in essence a bomb like i think they keep making them it's like i would just give up i would just wait I just waited out. But luckily, all the superhero stuff seems to be coming to a close. And we return to great filmmaking. We're going to return to an age of of uh, daring risk takers, putting it all on the line to create something new, some new art. Daring, daring risk takers like Wes Anderson, who I just learned uh, signed, apparently signed the Roman Polanski like support letter. Uh, and like a ton of other people did, too, like including David Lynch and Michael Mann and all these, you know, there's like there was like a. a yeah, I always think about David Lynch. Signing it's so that letter. weird. It's so odd to me. Well, I would just do nothing personally if it were me. If somebody was like, do you want to sign the Roman Polanski letter? Even if I was like, I'm so pro Roman Polanski, knowing what Roman Polanski did, I would be like. You know what? I'm I'm actually very busy. I don't have time to do add my signature to that. But thank you, thank you. You know, like you're not going to get ostracized for not signing the letter. You know, a very strange Michael Mann signed it. Very disappointing stuff. You know, you know, really just kind of confusing uh, as to why you'd put your your signature on that. I mean, if you knew even a scotch, even a little bit of the details. Yeah, like, I don't know. I wouldn't sign it personally. That's a strong stance. <laughs> Controversial <laughs> I'm not stance. Sign I wouldn't sign Let me it. tell you something about me. A lot of people wouldn't say this. A lot of people wouldn't step up, but I will. I won't sign the Roman Polanski letter. You know, I draw a line in the sand. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Imagine you ask two people the same exact set of seven questions. I'm Minnie Driver. And this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including actress and star of the mega hit sitcom Friends, Courtney Cox. You can't go around it, so you just go through it. This is a roadblock. It's going to catch you down the road. Go through it. Deal with it. Comedian, writer, and star of the series Catastrophe, Rob Delaney. I shouldn't feel guilty about my son's death. He died of a brain tumor. It's part of what happens when your kid dies. Intellectually, you'll understand that it's not your fault, but you'll still feel guilty. Alt-rock icon, Liz Fair. That personal disaster wrote Guyville. So everything comes out of a dead end. 
and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A., I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm trying to think of what I would sign. I've probably accidentally signed a few petitions, like dumb ones, you know, like, you know, remember there was like some, the Rick and Morty sauce at, at McDonald's and people like couldn't get it and people were having like flip out, they were flipping out. At at um, at McDonald's. Yeah, I thought I thought you were going to say one of the Man Show petitions. <laughs> no, I don't even know what that is. The Man Show? You mean the thing with what's his name? The Jimmy two guys, Kimmel, Adam Carolla. Adam and, Carolla. Yeah, yeah, they yeah. had people signing against women's suffrage. I remember that was one of their bits. I didn't watch that shit. I didn't watch that shit. I was raised well, right. I was a I was a young girl who was being instilled with. Uh, the misogyny, but misogyny, you... and uh, and the patriarchy. You know, belief in the patriarchy. Yeah, I don't know. I was um, my parents did a lot of things wrong, but they did a few things right apparently because that shit was not interesting to me at all. But uh, yeah, like I'd probably sign some petition, like like jokingly, like to bring back the Rick and Morty, you know, Szechuan sauce or whatever it was at, at McDonald's, <laughs> like stuff like that. Speaking of, speaking of canceled people who won't be let back in the country. Wow. Um, <laughs> somebody's like, impeach Trump, like sign the petition. I'd be like, yeah, I mean, I don't think my signature is going to do it. I don't know, care how many signatures you get. It doesn't matter. Nobody cares. They're not going to they're not going to do it a, a second time. Third. <laughs> like how many times he's been impeached like twice i don't even know yeah. like it's crazy it's wild i love i love that guy man it's, it's something else something to watch something just incredible to watch him exist because it's like you see all of the failings of our of our reality you see all the failings of humanity just just totally expressed within the way donald trump lives his life it's like He's like, oh, yeah, he was like, uh, he's done all these rapes and he's like lied and cheated. He's had like, he literally, this is a guy who literally as a business practice would put a C for colored next to um, black families names who were trying to rent houses or apartments from him because he didn't want to rent to them. And he would have his people mark that down to, to say, okay, don't rent to these people. He was, he was fucking sued and then they settled Right. Our system didn't find him like it found him guilty. But like then there was some kind of like settlement where he didn't have to ever say he did it or something. And that just got kind of brushed under the rug. And nobody fucking cares. Like nobody cares. Like you or I couldn't do something that racist in our daily life and like continue to exist in a normal way. But a guy like that just keeps going. And now it's like all this stuff like it's like, oh, yeah, he's the secret documents. It's like no president in history has ever acted like this. It's so outrageous. 
and you just feel like nothing will happen. It's like guns. It's like guns in this country. It's like, you're like, oh, more children were shot at a school. Well, that should do it, right? Like, that'll do it. We're going to band together and make uh, some changes here. Because, like, obviously, there's a problem. And we're just like, nah, eh, what are you going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do? I remember after Sandy Hook, I thought, well, this is it. This is it. It can't go any further than this. Obama's up on stage crying. And you're like, oh, wow, the president of the United States is like actually crying on television. Like I've never seen I'd never seen that before. I don't think in my lifetime. Maybe I maybe Bill Clinton cried. He seemed kind of like a crier, actually. Yeah, it's an interesting time to be alive at any rate. Well, I didn't even tell you. I didn't even tell you about my travels. I didn't even talk about my. First off, I was in Cannes. An incredible situation. Have you ever been to Cannes? Beautiful place. Oh, I Beautiful. looked up the pronunciation. It's Cannes, and like like an American would say Cannes, and then French, it's yeah Cannes with a hard K. I think it's the same. Actually, I I'm not sure there's a difference, but but I appreciate the French trying to tweak it a little bit. <laughs> Try to tweak it away from from the English pronunciation. At any rate, so, you know, I was there for a conference, which is the worst reason to go to Cannes, in my opinion. There's a big media and advertising conference there called uh, Cannes Lions or Lyon, I guess. I don't know is how they would say it. I was there only for about three days, three and a half, something like that. And I probably spent about an entire day in travel, all told, on one end and the other, like like a day and a, a half a day each way, a solidly 12 hours, if not more. So think about being in the most beautiful place in the world with, with the greatest sort of amenities and luxuries you could imagine. But what you're doing instead of enjoying it is meeting ad executives that you could meet with who are from New York and live in New York, but are there. And so, you know, that part was not fun, but there was a lot of other stuff that was fun. And at least an interesting experience. But but my travel was insane because I flew connections. So I first I flew from from New York to Frankfurt, Germany, where I bought a uh, German Shepherd Beanie Baby for Zelda in Germany, which I thought was cool. Some reason that's her favorite dog, and I don't have the heart to tell her that that's the Nazi dog. You know, it's like literally the Nazi dog. You know, there'll be a time and a place when I can tell her the truth, but um, she really likes German Shepherds. I think it's because she's kind of a narc and a cop. Like, I mean, she loves rules and she also like, you know, kids are early on are like, basically, you know, they think the police are pretty cool. I understand why, like, like, cause the police are presented as being really a great thing, you know, like, you're like, oh, they protect us and they help us. And they, you know, though, if you're lost, they'll tell you where to go. And like, admittedly, there, there are some uses, right? Like to the police. I'm not saying they're like, Again, I don't want to get into a thing. I mean, all ACAB, like, yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, let's get, let's get rid of them. But, but I can understand how a child would be like, that's a cool idea. So she loves, like, she likes like rules and stuff. And maybe the German Shepherd thing is like because it's a cop dog. I don't really know. They're incredibly smart, by the way. My dog is part German Shepherd, so I take offense to this. Okay, interesting. I would imagine there are a lot of Jews that would not own a German Shepherd. Right. Just like Jews won't have a Mercedes. Sure. That's what I'm saying. Ridiculous. Our generation, probably not. But like the the previous generations definitely had. I get it. I mean, it's like, you know, at any rate, I had a five hour, five hour layover in Frankfurt, Frankfurt. Um, And uh, I don't even know what I did. I was in a fugue state. I took a Xanax on the plane as we took off from a JFK. I had a couple of drinks. And for the first time ever in my life, ever. I fell asleep and then I woke up and they're like, we're landing in an hour and a half. And it was like, that's never happened to me on a plane ever. It was amazing. I like, I see now how other people can travel and what a fucking dream. Anyhow, so a lot of travel, uh, you know, did a lot of duty free shopping in the five during the five hour layover. Yeah. And then, and then I was there for like three, three days on the fourth day. I, I, I went to the airport then I flew to Zurich. And what's amazing about the Zurich airport, and frankly, about any airport, is first off, it's like nine in the morning when I get there. Now, the Zurich airport, because it's in uh, Switzerland, there are watch stores there the, of the greatest watch brands in the world, like Rolex and Omega, or as the British call it, Omega, which is a crime and they should be put in prison for it. 
And so all these like incredible watches, they're open at nine in the morning, right? They're like, oh, if I want to buy like a $25,000 Rolex at 9 a.m., that's a done deal. But there's a swatch, of course, there's a swatch store and the swatch store had, I don't know if you guys know about this, a thing called a moon swatch. Do you know what a moon swatch is? No. Nobody knows what a moon swatch is. Right. So swatch, the biggest thing, the biggest story in watches of the past, like, I don't know, 20 fucking years or maybe like since the Apple, uh, since the introduction of the Apple Watch, the biggest story in watches has been this thing called the Moon Swatch, which is a collaboration between Swatch, the affordable watchmaker, and Omega. And they what they did was Swatch made like a plastic version of this very famous and relatively expensive Omega watch called a, a what's referred to as a moon watch. A version of it was taken by the astronauts, a Speedmaster is the, the family name of it. And this one's called the moon watch. It was taken by like you know, some of the astronauts on like many missions, like the Apollo missions and stuff. And there's actually a really cool one that has like Snoopy on it. Cause like a Snoop, there's like a Snoopy astronaut character that was used for some like NASA stuff. And anyway, at any rate, it's a cool, it's a fucking cool, real, like expensive watch. And then Swatch made a version of it based on every planet in our solar system and the sun and moon that is like they're different colorways. And it looks exact. It is exactly in terms of its size, shape, functionality is identical to obviously different internals, identical to the Omega watch, but it is made out of like plastic, like Swatch makes all of their watches out of, um, or some kind of like bio material or whatever. And they're all in these really crazy colorways. There's like a pink one. There's like a green one. There's a yellow one. They're all for like the different planets and stuff. At any rate, you can't buy them. People were like, there were literally like riots outside of Swatch stores because they made them available in like this limited edition fashion. And like you had to physically go to a store to get one. There was no other way to get one. So like people sell them like for way more than they're worth on on eBay and you can buy them on different like watch sites. At any rate, I kind of, you know, vaguely was like, oh, like I if I could get one, I would maybe get one just because it's so novel. And, you know, I'm fucking walking through the Zurich airport at nine in the morning and they just have them there. They're just sitting out. I'm like, you don't actually have these for sale, right? And the guy's like, yeah, I have all but two. <laughs> you know, it's like kind of an amazing, strange, you know, whatever. It's fucking who cares? It's capitalism at work. You know, I don't need one. Certainly, I have plenty of watches. It was just an interesting way to like start that trip, you know? So I had a bunch of gifts that I brought back for Zelda and Laura and I bought myself a a moon, a moon swatch because because uh, why not? Because if you can't get them anywhere else, I might as well pick one up. You know, it's interesting though. I, I haven't taken it out of the box yet because I don't wear a regular watch because I have an Apple watch and um, that may change in the future. That's a story for another podcast. I think that's a story for another day, but uh, oh, I was going to say, I didn't say this. It's the last thing I'll say. And maybe I've talked about it before, but I think airports are so fucking cool and interesting because, and I definitely have talked about this before. There, you know, there's this theory, this thing, uh, I believe, which was uh, created by a writer named Hakeem Bey called the temporary autonomous zone. The concept is like a place that for a period of time or in a specific location is like a community that forms with its own rules, its own laws, its own kind of like way of existing. And then it can like dissipate. And I think like airports are like a great example of a temporary autonomous zone, which is that in my opinion, like kind of an otherworldly like if you think about what it is, it's a very otherworldly idea. Like in an airport, an airport has its own rules, its own laws. The people there, none of them are really, besides people that work there, all the people moving through it are not really supposed to be there. They're going somewhere else. And like there are things that are in a temporal sense are not normal. Like a Rolex store typically isn't open at nine in the morning. I'm like, oh, I'm carrying these bags. I'm taking a plane to New York. But also like if I want to stop and get by a Rolex, like that can happen or like a huge bottle of alcohol. There's all these like weird things that happen there, you know? And then there's a totally different set of rules about like what you can do, like where you can be, like to see someone sleeping on the floor. Normally you'd be like, oh my God, like this is what's happened to this person or like, oh, they're, you know, they're homeless. But, you know, in an airport, people are just waiting. Yeah, it's just interesting. And there's all these weird like things in airports that would never exist anywhere else. Like in Frankfurt, there was like a indoor play area for children that was like a, a, a miniature Lufthansa plane with like a, it had like an emergency slide, but it was like a slide for children. And it's just, you know, there's in the middle of an indoor space, just sliding down this tiny Lufthansa emergency, you know, exit or whatever. It's just, 
it's a strange thing, strange place. It's kind of fun though, in a way. I mean, I might be, am I the only person who likes airports? Maybe I can't be the only person, but I don't like traveling. I hate traveling. I like airports, weird food, lots of different food choices. It's like a, it's like a mall, but like where there's way more danger of like you being arrested for something like way higher levels of fear about being detained in a strange room. <laughs> you know. Disneyland with the death penalty, as William Gibson famously wrote for um, one of the early issues of Wired about uh, Singapore. Did a big, did a big expose about Singapore and how um, it was like this like dreamland of a place where that you know you would be executed for spitting gum on the sidewalk or whatever. I don't know if they still do that, but be a good topic for a show. Well, that is our show for this week. If you can believe it, it's all come to a close. The journey that we've been taking together is ending. And yet a new journey begins next week because we're going to have another show, which I think is great. I think I'm excited about it and I'm feeling refreshed and rejuvenated after my travels. And frankly, after after this you know conversation, I, I want to thank the listener for allowing me to bear my my soul and share my thoughts. I really do, I deeply appreciate that you've spent this time with me. And this is a real finality to this sign-off. This seems pretty dark, pretty heavy shit, but it's not really, I'm just tired. Just tired from traveling. Anyhow, we'll be back next week with more What Future. And as always, I wish you and your family the very best. Hi, this is Kurt Woodsmith. You remember me from such TV comedies as That 70s Show and That 90s Show on Netflix. I'll never forget the words that my grandfather said just before he kicked the bucket. He said, watch how far I can kick this bucket. People ask me where I get my dad jokes from. I tell them to listen to the Daily Dad Jokes podcast. Listen to Daily Dad Jokes every day on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, And me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. I am so excited about this podcast, The Bright Side. You guys are giving people a chance to shine a light on their lives, shine a light on a little advice that they want to share. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. Snakes, zombies, sharks, heights, speaking in public. The list of fears is endless. But while you're clutching your blanket in the dark, wondering if that sound in the hall was actually a footstep, the real danger is in your hand when you're behind the wheel. And while you might think a great white shark is scary, what's really terrifying and even deadly is distracted driving. Eyes forward. Don't drive distracted. Brought to you by NHTSA and the Ad Council. Imagine you ask two people the same seven questions. I'm Mini Driver, and this was the idea I set out to explore in my podcast, Mini Questions. This year, we bring a whole new group of guests to answer the same seven questions, including Courtney Cox, Rob Delaney, Liz Fair, and many, many more. Join me on season three of Mini Questions on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Seven questions, limitless answers.